Steve said, this is our final um, sermon in the series we've been going through Galatians. We're not covering all the last words of Galatians, but if you'd like to turn to chapter 6. Chapter 6 and verse 7, and I'm reading from the ESV. I'll mention something about that in a moment. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in, of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Let's pray. Father, our verse starts with a serious warning. Lord, I pray that we'll understand that warning and, Lord, that we will heed it. And, Lord, that by your Spirit, Lord, we may apply uh, what we understand and what we hear today, Lord, to your glory and to your praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we begin to open up this uh, passage... Um, I would like us, uh, I think it would be helpful uh, to understand one of the words that we find here uh, in the the ESV. In fact, it's twice uh, and it's in verse 8. Remember Steve last week mentioned that for preaching we're going to be using this version. Um, It doesn't mean that uh, we're abandoning every other version. Um, I shall probably be using a different version um, for my devotions. But for preaching we're using it. And here... Is, is an example why. So I'm just going to, just for a few moments before we get into the passage, talk about why we've chosen to use the ESV. And there's an example here, and it's in verse 8, and it's the word flesh, and it appears twice. Now, the, with the NIV, which I've used and loved for many years, the translators, I think, in an attempt to make it more readable, have substituted the, the phrase um, <coughs> uh, sinful nature for flesh uh, and you'll find that throughout the New Testament uh, this may be because the word flesh today uh, we tend to associate that with the material substance of our bodies don't we, this is, this is our flesh uh, this is the meat as it were uh, but when uh, this word was originally used it included our minds, uh, our emotions Uh, our appetites and our cravings and Paul wants to differentiate that aspect of us from our essential nature that which makes us us we have an essential nature uh, an inner self and that's where the spirit dwells and that makes us unique Uh, for us who are believers um, it was our old self our old sinful nature that was identified with Christ when he was crucified, we were crucified 
uh, with Christ and we were raised to eternal life. So that was, this is our old self. Uh, we were born again by the Spirit and now we're alive to God. We have a new nature and our old nature is dead and buried. We have to understand that because sometimes it doesn't seem as if it is, but it is. It's dead and buried. However, this new nature is still in the same body, the same flesh, and it's still in its same fallen state. It's yet to be redeemed and made new. But that will happen when Jesus returns and we receive our glorious resurrection body and we will be like him, we will be like Jesus. And in that day, uh, we will be free from corruption and our, our spirits will be in, perfectly in tune with this new resurrection body. But in the meantime, uh, it's still in its fallen nature. Therefore, when the NIV translates the word for flesh as sinful nature, it can suggest that we actually have two natures. We have a renewed nature and we also have a sinful nature. But that's not right. We just have one nature that has died and God has brought to life again uh, and renewed. Uh, and, but it's still housed in our flesh, which is in its fallen state. And this is why I think the New Testament very often talks about the fact there's a conflict between our spirit and our flesh. All right? And there's a, there's a battle going on, and that's referred to uh, a number of times. And uh, the, um, we have to make choices as to what we obey, whether we obey the flesh or whether we obey the spirit, whether we obey our inner promptings, our new, uh, new uh, um, nature. And uh, we'll see that um, from this passage that some of, the, some of the outcomes of those choices. It's important to know that um, none of these choices affect our salvation. We, we do not lose our salvation by making the wrong choices. Uh, but they determine whether we grow in grace and uh, whether we're pleasing our Heavenly Father and reaping the rewards that are available to us now uh, and, and in the life to come. To be fair to the translators of the NIV, when they use words like um, sinful nature, there is a footnote which actually gives the direct translation, uh, which is flesh. So I hope that's not too complicated, and I hope that you will we'll see some more of that as we go on and understand it more. So, from the passage, we start with this very stark warning. Do not be deceived... God is not mocked. Um, it is possible for Christians, born-again Christians, to be deceived. And we have to be on our guard. And so Paul is uh, urging us here, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Don't kid yourself. Uh, God cannot be fooled. Having been given a new life, don't think you can just live as you want to uh, and get away with it. And uh, you know, what Paul says is, whatever you sow... That's whatever you fill your life with, uh, that will you reap. That will be the outcome uh, of our lives. And God's intention is that in saving us, we grow in grace and in the knowledge uh, of the Lord Jesus and allow God by his Spirit to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. We know that, don't we? That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this is called sanctification. Right? Sanctification, it means being made holy. We are, we are declared righteous before God 
through the death and resurrection of Jesus and the sacrifice he made, but although we are righteous forever, we are being made holy in this life by the Holy Spirit. And this makes us more and more like Jesus. And this process is helped or it's hindered by the choices that we make regarding what influences our thoughts and actions. Uh, someone has said about computers, rubbish in, rubbish out. You heard that one? Okay. <laughs> well, it's a bit that way with us. And I think we know that, don't we? If we fill our lives with a load of rubbish, if we keep on taking in rubbish, it is going to spill over into our lives sometime. There are two aspects of this statement, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, that I want to look at this morning. The first is, and this relates really to the first part of this letter, is that you cannot play around with the gospel. You can't play around with the gospel and think it will still save you. So the second is that having been saved by believing the genuine gospel and being filled with the Holy Spirit, that we now need to live not by the promptings of the flesh, but by the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what God has created us for and saved us for. Firstly then, do not allow the gospel to be corrupted. If you can think back to those early chapters, uh, Paul's, after his greeting, um, he starts really hammering these Christians at, in Galatia. Uh, he's really incensed about something. Steam is coming out of his ears. And what it is is that the gospel that they received, that they believed and were filled with the Spirit, they are abandoning it because there were those Jews who were coming among them and they were saying, um, yes, Jesus is fine, this gospel's fine, but you still need to be circumcised. You still need this Jewish rite of circumcision. And there were those who were being taken in by it. And Paul uses strong language. He said, you've been led astray, you've been deceived. He even says, you've been bewitched. Someone has bewitched you to think. And these Jews were preaching, Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation. And what Paul says is, if you do that, if you take that on board, you're putting yourself under law again and you're becoming a slave to the law. He says at the, be the beginning of um, chapter 5, he says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. That is from the law and the condemnation of the law. For freedom Christ has set us free. Therefore do not, subject, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. It's that serious if we try and add something to the gospel, like circumcision, like some other sacrifice, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obliged to keep the whole law. He's brought himself under the law from which Christ has set us free. I testify again, as I say, that every man who accepts circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So it shows just how serious it is. And this 
taking on circumcision uh, and any other rite or whatever it might be is one aspect of sowing to the flesh. Paul talks about sowing to the flesh, believing that we have to contribute something ourselves in order uh, to be saved. It satisfies the flesh. It, it feeds our ego. Uh, it results in pride. You see, we like to think that we can contribute something. That there is something that God must accept something from me for this salvation because that feeds our ego and our pride our, and so on. And um, we know that uh, Paul makes it very clear in Ephesians. In my case, I'm just turning over a page forward uh, to read from Ephesians. But Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Here is the heart of the gospel. Many of you will know this by, by heart. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God so that no one will boast. You see, if we have to do something for ourselves, like circumcision, we will boast in our flesh. That's what Paul talks about. He said, I'm not going to boast in those things anymore. I will boast in Jesus Christ alone. So it, there is that temptation. It, it suits the natural man. So what they reap, what they will inherit, is a corrupted gospel. And Paul says, it's another gospel. And in fact, it's no gospel at all. It, it, it's, if you start adding something to the gospel, then Christ is of no effect in your life. And it will not save you. It will not save you. And just an aside here. Um, if we have the privilege and, and honour of uh, leading someone to Christ, uh, maybe there's a meeting and you're a counsellor and the person comes out, they've, the, the, the gospel has been preached, this person has put their faith in Jesus Christ and you're there to counsel them. Now there are things that you want to say to them. But actually, we have to be careful that we don't give them Christian laws. Now, now you've been saved. Now that you have to read the Bible every day. You pray every day. Um, you give 10% of your income to the church, and we expect you to be around every Sunday. And, oh, the other thing is you need to witness to your neighbor. Now, all those things are good, but sometimes people can think that I won't be saved unless I do all those things. And, in fact, that's where the Jehovah's Witnesses are. Unless, unless they do those things, they will say they're not saved. But the, the issue is that we are saved. So those things are good, but we mustn't present them as laws so that people come under condemnation because, well, I haven't read my Bible today, I haven't prayed today. People don't need to come under condemnation. Nowhere does it say in the Bible, you must read your Bible every day. Nowhere doesn't just say that. But it's good. We know those things are good and we would encourage people. But we just have to be careful. No Christian laws. God is not mocked. In mercy and grace, God presented Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus in his life kept the law completely. He observed the law. He kept it completely so that we wouldn't have to. And, um, you know, it's, it, this sacrifice from God... Makes our, sacrifice, makes our salvation complete. So God is not mocked. and We don't need some ritual, some sacrifice from us. Salvation by works appeals to the natural man. I, I've talked to people sometimes about the gospel and they are quite 
upset and incensed that God is not going to accept some of their goodness in the process. Now, I'm not saying God overlooks their goodness, but it doesn't feature in their salvation. And I've known people sort of stomp off and, and you know, say, no, I'm, I'm not interested in that. If that's the case, if that's your God, I'm not interested. So uh, salvation can appeal to the natural man. But the, the true gospel is absolutely liberating. It's absolutely liberating because there is nothing we can do to add to that gospel uh, that, that Jesus has done all that's necessary. If there is a work, if there is something that we need to do to add to it, there's always this issue, have I done enough? Have I, have I done enough uh, you know, to, to earn my salvation? But the fact of the matter is that none of us have done enough, but Jesus has done enough. And uh, that's why we can be sure. That's why when somebody says, you know, do you know that you're going to heaven? We can say yes. Okay? We can say yes because it, it isn't down to us. Now the uninitiated think we're boasting about something. Well, you're better than me. But we're not. We're only boasting in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. So, the gospel gives us something uh, that uh, we could never do for ourselves. So, the first thing is don't be deceived. Don't play around with the gospel because God is not mocked. You can't pull the wool over God's eyes. The second way that this statement applies in relation to the two ways that Paul presents that a Christian can live. And now we're not talking about people who've believed a false gospel, but people who've genuinely been saved and, and received the Spirit. And what he says, we have a choice, either to live by the Spirit or to gratify the desires of the flesh. And we saw in chapter five a couple of weeks ago when David was preaching and last week with Steve that Paul gives examples of the flesh and contrasts them with the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. And he said, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. We will reap what we sow. So if we've truly repented of our sin and welcomed Jesus into our lives, but continue to indulge in sinful activities and fill our minds with corrupting thoughts, we grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, a third person of the Trinity, and because he lives within us, we can grieve him. We can grieve him. And uh, therefore we cannot expect to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says that if we sow to our flesh, we will reap corruption. This is not just moral corruption. It will certainly be that. But it could be physical corruption. The result uh, of um, sowing to the flesh um, could injure us in some way, could cause illness or whatever. It could even cause us uh, to become criminals. In the, in the extreme. Um, there's a survey um, carried out in America and it suggests this. Violent movies, video games and computer games may spur violence and produce other adverse effects on children. American children and adolescents spend more than 90 hours a month watching television according to the Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. They will have viewed hundreds of thousands of acts of violence by the time they reach 18. Many experts have concluded that the ubiquitous presence of violence in our media encourages violence in our youth. There are some that would dis 
dispute that. But I think we can understand that. If you're constantly taking violence in, it's going to have an effect. Now, that was, I just use that as an example. Um, you know, of course, violence isn't the only issue. Uh, immorality is paraded on our television programs now, isn't it? And it's shown as if it's the norm. Uh, and even if it's, if it's one of the soaps, it seems that, that everything is compressed into that short time. All the possible um, things that can go wrong, go wrong, don't they? But um, these programs want to almost convince us that this is now acceptable behaviour. Uh, there is the consumer culture where we're bombarded with advertising and they're telling us something that we can't live without. And often, it's something we can't afford, but nevertheless, we can't live without it. We've got to have it. And all these things, they appeal to our flesh. They appeal to our flesh. But the remedy is not just cutting these things out of our lives, uh, thus removing the influence. We need to fill our lives with something positive and feed our spirits uh, and reinforce kingdom values and allow, and allow Jesus, uh, by his spirit, to produce fruit in us. We recognize that the fruit of the spirit is not something we strive for, it's something that the spirit grows in us. Fruit grows in us as we fellowship with the Holy Spirit. But Paul t tells us how. He says, by the one, but the one who sows to the Spirit will, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. Now, at a first reading, you might say, hey, doesn't that sound like salvation by works? We reap eternal life by something that we do. Uh, that is, sowing to the Spirit. Um, it's tantamount to saying, surely we're saved by works. But no, the Gospel is very clear. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is very clear. So what does Paul mean here? I think what we need to understand is that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we are, as we are saved, we are born again, then eternal life begins then. It begins now, in this life, when we are saved. It doesn't come in its fullness, but it's, it, it begins now. And um, John, Jesus, um, when he's pr uh, with his disciples uh, on that night before, before he was crucified, gathering them for the Last Supper, he prays a prayer that we often call Jesus' high priestly prayer. And this is what he prays. And this is eternal life. He doesn't say this is eternal life. It just goes on and on and on and on. All right? that we might think. He says this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, eternal life begins now when we know God and we know Jesus uh, that the Father has sent. And uh, from this we see that eternal life does start now. It continues through death to its fullness and we when we receive our resurrection bodies and salvation is complete. So, what Paul is saying is here, that we can reap something from eternal life now. There's some things that we can reap from eternal life now if we sow to the Spirit. What is it? We can deepen our fellowship with God and with Jesus Christ and we can enjoy more of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Surely those things are not only 
to be examples of our character, but we can actually enjoy the fruit of the Spirit. There are things that, that we want to see in our lives and that we want to, to reflect the character of Jesus. So we can, if we sow to the Spirit, uh, we can reap some things in this life. Because the most obvious way that we sow to the Spirit is through the Scriptures. Uh, we, we know that the Scriptures themselves testify that they are God-breathed, that the Holy Spirit inspired men uh, over many, many centuries to write the Scriptures. So this is an inspired book. Uh, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in it, we can learn about the Holy Spirit. We can learn who the Holy Spirit is, uh, what the Holy Spirit does, and how the Holy Spirit can be involved in our lives. But more than that, when we read the Scriptures, if we expect that God is going to speak to us through it, then that is one of the ways that we sow to the Spirit, that we uh, understand that God speaks to us and the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. So that perhaps that's the, the, the most important way of sowing to the Spirit. But over the last couple of weeks, we've heard from David and from Steve that there are ways of keeping fellowship with the Spirit. Good morning, Holy Spirit, when we wake up. And, and, uh, and other ways in which we, we tune our, our, our spiritual ear to hear from the Holy Spirit so that he will guide us uh, into all truth and also uh, to live in ways that will bring forth fruit. Um, I'm going to mention something, uh, something else right at the end that's very pertinent to our uh, situation here. But I just want to just pause uh, for a moment and, and ask a fair question, I think. Um, we've talked about this inner self, this old nature that has been crucified with Christ and we've been given a new nature, but sometimes it seems as if we don't have a new nature. Sometimes we, sin just seems to overpower us and we think, have I really got a new nature? And if that's the case, have I been saved? So here's the question. If as a believer my old sinful nature is dead and my new nature wants to please God, why do I still sin? And because I still sin, it makes me wonder if I am saved at all. Well, in Romans, Paul says this, before we were saved, we were slaves to sin. Right? Our inner nature was a slave to sin because we obeyed sin. And our inner nature was in tune with our flesh. There was no conflict there. And in other words, when we sinned, perhaps we didn't, it didn't bother us that much because our inner nature was in agreement with what we were doing. But he goes on to say that when you are saved, you are a slave to righteousness. Your inner nature is a slave to righteousness. So how do I know that? Well, I know it because when I sin, it grieves me. Now, it didn't grieve me before, but now it grieves me because my inner nature wants to please God, where it didn't before. And I think that's one of the um, biggest and most important indicators that we have a new nature, that when we sin, it grieves, it grieves us. Now I am a slave to righteousness. So back to the passage. We're drawing to a close now. And verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those 
who are of the household of, freight, uh, of faith. Much of the fruit of the Spirit, if you remember, love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, and so on, are in relation to other people. It's how other people benefit uh, from the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And it's aspects of us doing good to other people. And, um, you know, however, we have to acknowledge that sometimes the reaping, the rewards, are delayed. For example, if um, we have a, a neighbour who is in need and we spend a fair bit of time with them over a long period of time, it may take a long time before fruit comes in as much as that person says, tell me, why is it you're doing it? Why are you helping me? Why are you helping me? So it, it can take quite a long time uh, for the fruit to come. If we take a, a lighter ex example, um, if I'm on a, 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 a slimming regime, right, and uh, the, the magazines tell me I can lose weight in, in two weeks, you know, substantial weight in two weeks. Actually, I know it takes months and months and months. We have to persevere with it. However, somebody has left this wonderful cream donut in our, in our house, right? Wonderful cream donut. And I can't resist it, so I eat it. And it's instant gratification. And often, the, the works of the flesh can produce instant gratification, all right? One way, we all know that. If we think, use our minds and think around it, instant gratification. But, but that, that when we are sowing to the Spirit... And I'm not saying you're sowing to the Spirit when you're on a diet, but you just use that as an illustration. Um, it may take time for the fruit to come. It may take time for the fruit to come. This school, being in this school, I believe it's because we sowed to the Spirit. Right? We didn't sow to our comforts. I can imagine that some of you, that, that um, some of you, your flesh is crying out for those nice padded seats that we have back at the Beacon Centre. No? And these chairs at the front here must be particularly hard, I think, because nobody wants to sit in them. But no, we, didn't, we didn't consider our own comforts, did we? What we were saying was, God has spoken, we want to sow into this and believe that there will be reaping. Now, now Paul says that we're, you know, we're not to, to grow weary, we're not, to, we're not to give up. And we may not see very quick results here, we may not. But we have sown to the Spirit and we will believe that we will reap a reward. We will reap a harvest if we sow to the Spirit. So that's, that, that's just an example. So, a, a, a severe warning, do not be deceived. Sadly, we know of Christians who do get deceived. Even high-profile Christians get deceived and lead a double life. And uh, it, one is amazed how that, they can go on like that for ages. But it's possible to be deceived. But don't be deceived. God is not mocked. We can't play around with the gospel. We can't add to it. We can't change it to suit ourselves. The gospel has been given to us by God. A righteousness has come from God to us. And, and that's the righteousness that we can inherit. And also, um, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. Having been saved, we can't just live any old, old how. We need to sow to the Spirit, and then we will reap a harvest. So may God help us to do that. Let's pray.
Father God, when we think of these two extremes, sowing to the Spirit or sowing to the flesh, Lord, often we're, we're wavering about in the middle sometimes. Lord, we're not all one thing or the other. But Lord, we, we thank you that it's your Holy Spirit wants to lead us uh, into a closer relationship with him so that we find it easier to sow to the Spirit and not to the flesh. Lord, these things sometimes are hard to understand. But we ask you, Father God, that you will give us a passion for Jesus and his church. And Lord, that we have such a passion to see fruit uh, come from our life together and in our personal lives. That Lord, that we will draw closer to you. And Lord, that we will uh, uh, fellowship with the Holy Spirit more and more. So that he may produce the fruit in our lives uh, to your glory. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song before we finish. In Christ alone.